What's up, friends? Welcome back to the New Evangelicals podcast. Great to have you here. So on this episode, we kind of took a different direction for this interview. It's more like a conversation, actually. I interviewed um, a friend of mine, Peter, who I actually never technically met in person, but we talk all the time um, on Instagram and also uh, behind the scenes. I actually interviewed him in December on the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. So I brought Peter back on. He's actually the executive director of Bethany Kids, which is a missions organization. And um, don't worry, this is not a colonizing one. Uh, this missions organization really, I think, is doing a really good work to empower local communities in Africa um, to make their own communities better. So we talk a lot about that. We talk about cancel culture. We talk about the coronavirus, talk about the vaccine. This is more like uh, two friends have having coffee, and I decided to record it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, please don't forget, if you like this episode, if you like this podcast, please do not forget to give us a rating and even a review if you have it in your sweetheart to do. It is such a huge help to have that. It really helps boost the podcast in like the ranking system and helps people find us. So, all right, without further ado, here is my coffee chat with my buddy, Peter. I hope you all enjoy it. All right, we're recording. Um, all right, so Peter, we were just talking about before we started hitting record, and it's funny how even hitting record changes like the dynamic of the conversation, but whatever. <laughs> right. It's we like you open the door and let some people in. You're like, hey, come <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. Better say now, something smart now. Now I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, everyone, welcome. You know? <laughs> but we were talking about how, you know, the way you and I met, even though we haven't met in person ever, was someone from your organization, Bethany Kids, uh, your missions organization that you're, I think, are, w what's your role there? Remind so I'm me. the executive director, so okay. uh, I kind of oversee it. You're the big wig, got it. So, <laughs> so someone reached out from the organization that you run and was like, hey, you know, we're looking to have people, um, you know, Peter uh, on people's podcasts. And at that time I was running the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. And I said, yeah, why not? And we had this really good talk about, you know, missions and all that stuff, which actually I have some follow-up questions to that I'm sure we'll get into at some point on this discussion. Who knows where <laughs> it's going to go? But then I was telling you how the New Evangelicals wasn't even a thing yet. It was still in mm. my mind somewhere, Yeah, which is kind of wild, honestly. Right, because it doesn't feel like it was that long ago of a chat, but so much has changed on that front, which is absolutely incredible. When did I interview? How long ago was that? I don't know. I like it could have been the end of 2020. Wow. But again, like everything just feels when you measure time in the middle of a pandemic, it just oh. feels different, doesn't it? It really does. And you're in Canada, right? Are so yeah. are they are they pretty locked down still? Like, what's it like over there? So interesting. Uh, we've been like back and forth, and like it is everywhere. If we all did the right thing at the beginning. <laughs> Uh, we wouldn't be in this mess a year later. Um, Sounds like you, you want more tyranny, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm hoping for, what did you, what did the, I saw someone on the, on the channel today, uh, talking about the mark of the beast, right? Yeah, uh, so, exactly. Right. Yeah. So we're actually starting a new phase of lockdowns tonight. Um, wow. it, it's, okay. yeah, we're, so it, I think the current version is called the stay at home order. Like, unless you have pressing business, don't leave the house. Wow. Um, Even with which, the vaccine. Yeah. The, the, so here's the problem because Canada has not been able to produce their own vaccines. A couple of years ago, we we're like, Hey, free trade, like everyone's helping everyone out. That'd be cool. We'll just depend on our American buddies. Uh, and then obviously the world's shifted a little bit then since then. So we, we've not produced any of our vaccines. So we're like, 
we've paid for a ton of vaccines, but we can't get our hands on those vaccines uh, wow, as a country. I did not know that. Yeah. So we're not even 10% vaccinated. I think we're maybe cracked 9% today. Whoa. So really far behind. And what that means is we're still having like big bumps in the ICU. I heard on the radio, one of the kind of triggers to go back into this lockdown was that our IC units in the larger cities, it's like 130% capacity. So, you know, when that happens, then surgeons are making life and death choices like, well, there's two of you in one bed. So who's got the best chance of surviving because we can't help you both. Uh, And so we're still in that world, uh, unfortunately. Uh, The hope is by the summer, uh, we're a little bit better. We're definitely seeing a a big increase in vaccines right now uh, in terms of distribution. But we're, we're just not there yet. And, you know, it's, it's a race, isn't it? Like trying to get the vaccines out faster than COVID cases mount. Yeah. Um, wow. That's I had no idea that that um, I guess because because of trade agreements that Canada is dependent on the U.S. for vaccines. Right. Um, so wow. U.S. and Europe. Most so most of our vaccines, in fact, maybe all of our vaccines are coming from Europe. Uh, interestingly, uh, and you can surmise why this was the case, but the end of 2020, when vaccines became available in any degree, our government was having to decide which companies to go with. And there was a lack of trust in whoever was down south of the border running the country, he who shall not be named. <laughs> yes, um, we I don't want to trigger my audience here. <laughs> right, yeah, trigger warning on that. Uh, so, yeah, I think what happened was we were entirely dependent on Europe. It is interesting, though, when you're thinking about vaccines in terms of who's making them, but also the rates of export is really interesting to look at. So, for example, Europe and India, they're producing a lot of vaccines, but they're they're exporting almost half of what they produce, Wow, uh, which is beautiful. I think if we are a community as a global community, we've got to think about this. But if you look at the UK and the US, which, of course, are pretty good and with vaccinating their own people, they have close to zero exports of vaccines. So good, like you're taking care of your own. That is really important. Right. But uh, there isn't like it's not necessarily trickling to other countries. So Hmm. um, now some of our staff, obviously, we're a medical agency. So some of our frontline staff now in Kenya have had access to the vaccine or at least the first dose, which is great. Because I'm like, I'm seeing people in the West who, who are like, they work in an office, chilling out, they work from home and they're getting the vaccine. And I'm like, you know, my, my surgeons on the front line don't have right. vaccines yet. Well, it's funny you say that because the company I work for is, I do work at home as a, as a project manager. And someone in the company said, listen, because you technically work with like infrastructure, you know, like, like technology, you can get vaccinated because it's like an mm. essential business. Wow. But I'm also kind of like, well, I'm at home, though, like all the time. <laughs> you know, right. I'm not yeah. in hospitals. So yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, I was just um, I was just looking at the podcast date that we recorded. It was December 16th, 2020. Wow. Which yeah. feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> right. A lifetime ago. I mean, that yeah. is so I think I launched New Evangelicals maybe a week after we talked. Wow. Um, and then the insurrection happened in January. Right. Yeah, you did right. have that. Sort like, of a monumental moment in had, history. Right. Then we had the vaccines, we had the phony election stuff, and now here we are in April, and it just feels like it feels like the person that you're talking to is like not the same person. Right. I'm yeah. The same thing goes for you. I mean, right. it is wild to think about how much has changed. And also in Canada, like, have you, have you been following the, uh, the James Coates situation 
the pastor who got um, arrested. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Did you follow that at all? Yeah, just uh, enough to roll my eyes. Uh, so I, I don't want to speak ill of someone, but yes, I do get yes. the sense that some people like getting arrested for for preaching is a great resume pad in certain circles. Do you know what I mean? So I don't want to make any accusations, right. but, but legitimately it, it is it feels like I, I was talking to someone here in Ontario and they were saying there's a couple of pastors who literally were trying to get arrested and they were like tr- doing things intentionally, raising alarm bells intentionally just to annoy public health. And public health was like, we got to avoid arresting them because that's exactly what they want. They want this platform to be like, yes. this is my faith getting persecuted. Yes. Uh, fund, give me money for the GoFundMe now. And I'm like, this is not what we need as a church right yes. now. Yeah. Like, okay. So I'm not trying, and I, I, tr- I try and be clear even on my account that we're not here to dehumanize people. You know, mm. uh, Pastor James Coates is a human being made in the image of mm. God. Right. Um, but like I followed that. So that story kind of blew up maybe a month ago now. Yeah. And I follow some way more conservative, like Christian accounts on purpose to kind of yeah. keep my, 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 you gotta listen, you gotta to listen to everyone. Right. And I, you know, I see this getting circulated. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, it, it's, and it's really framed as like pastor gets arrested for preaching the gospel pastor arrested yeah. and his wife is on, on, on Instagram and all these big people are blowing up her posts, you know, and she's like, this is crazy. This is government tyranny. But mm-hmm. what actually, actually happened was that he was willingly defying health codes that applied to every church, to every business in that region yeah. for weeks. And he was warned repeatedly, Hey, yeah. please. And, and you know, the, the, from what I read of, of that region, the mandate was 15% capacity and wearing masks. So they could yeah. definitely still meet. They yeah, just need to do it at a reduced capacity. Um, and this guy was like, no, I, I, I will not do that. Um, I have to preach the gospel. And mm-hmm. he gets arrested and it becomes like this photo op and becomes the yeah. smoking gun for yeah. many, I'm not going to say all, but many conservative, evangelical, I'm going to say more reformed types to then push the, the 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 proof that wow look it's just a moment it's just a matter of time before mm. the the police go marching down every door in Canada and right. they, it comes to the U.S. and I just find that so disingenuous because mm. one of the points that I made was that every church in a first world country has to abide by regulations. Every church, the church I go to, the fire marshal sets a maximum occupancy. The fire marshal sets if if this building is up to code or not. And if it's not and they meet people can get arrested if they keep on defying right. the order long enough. Like this is not and, like right. uh, some new mind blowing, like first no. time thing. And no. it has been, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's been just so difficult. So I said that because recently, so he, the pastor got arrested and, um, you know, everyone's freaking out. It's the end of the world. Yada, yada, yada. And he, he refuses bail on the condition. The, the, the condition was you could be released if you stop meeting in the church building. He goes, I will not do that. So now he's even more of a martyr. He's standing up for right. the gospel, a.k.a. He, 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 he refuses Against public to health. Be, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, don't forget what have we been taught our whole life, Peter? The, the church is not a building, but apparently now it is right. a building. Now right? it is. So now it's a building. Yeah. So that happens. He gets released. And now that I'm not sure if you saw this, but the government put a, a, a fence around the church building. 
Like they're like, no, you cannot meet anymore. Stop like, coming in here. Yeah, and people have revitalized the story, and now that's being passed around as like government overreach. Like, wait, wait, guys, the no. church is not the building. Just meet in the no. house. Like you yeah. can do this so many other ways. So yeah. I'm kind of venting to you, honestly, because we've we, we been talking <laughs> in a while. But like, my gosh, I see that, and I just go, yeah. I, I just can't fathom how this is a big thing in some evangelical circles. Yeah. It, what, I guess what really upsets me because there's like that kind of narcissism everywhere. Uh, and you get people who want to be famous and this is the new way to be famous, I guess, to be like the martyr. The sad thing is there are real martyrs in the world. Yes. The sad thing is there are pastors who are arrested for preaching. Yes. That is real. Yes. It's not happening in Canada right now. Just to be clear, that is not an example of it, right. but there are pastors who are arrested. There are people who still face the death penalty for converting to another religion that is real in a number of places in the world so when we say something like oh i broke a fire code or i broke a health code overstuffed my building nothing to do with the words coming out of my mouth it was not about preaching but i'm breaking a health violation or uh, it's a health violation for me to pretend that is the same as someone who's facing facing the death penalty for their faith yes it's just it, it really is disingenuous, as you said, but it, it kind of it dilutes the real stories around the world. Yes. Like if you wanted a martyr story, you don't have to look very hard. There's, uh, right. you know, those organizations that have been collecting stories like this um, around the world for years. Yep. This is real. It, it, yes. it is happening. Yes. It is not happening in Canada. And, and I know people say things like, oh, slippery slope, man, slippery slope. And I'm like, you know, you you actually for those people who like to to get up into a pulpit and say things really loud, you've got the platform of Zoom, you've got uh, the YouTube, you've got so many places to tell your story, and no one's shutting that down. Which right. is a good measure of whether or not it's about the words or the preaching, exactly. or whether it's about building capacity. Exactly. Because this guy could have the whole time could have been doing it on YouTube. No one would have shut him down. This right. is not about free speech. This is not about freedom of religion. Right. This is about health code violations, which no, you're to- it, you're like already. if a restaurant shut down yeah. because they had a rat infestation, we wouldn't be like, whoa, can you believe it? They, they don't want us to eat. <laughs> right. No, that, there's one place that was breaking the health code and right. they got shut down. That, that is not the church being attacked. I'm sorry. I love how you mentioned that like there are real people dying for their faith of all kinds right now all over the world mm-hmm. and it's not in Canada and it's not in the US right. and it's not in most first world countries. Thank God. I mean, we, right. we want yeah. more of that, right? We want yeah. China to stop um, persecuting Christians and Muslims. Like we want that to yeah. be a thing, 100%. But you're right. Whenever we make it about, again, us, has to be about, about the American, about the Canadian, about you know our theology, we really do a disservice to people who are really putting their faith and their health and their livelihood on the line for the sake of their allegiance to King Jesus. So I'm with you. Yeah. But let me ask you this, because you, know, you obviously work in like a ministry type capacity. I mean, you are in a, a missions organization. Yeah. You run it. Yeah. How do you, I mean, and you have views that seem... I think to some people can be like, whoa, is this guy a liberal? I mean, that's how I would perceive it, right? Because we're here we are in alignment. If I'm being called a liberal, I can only imagine. Like, how do you deal with like some of this stuff in, in evangelical culture? Because you have the fundraise for the, for the I'm assuming yeah. for the missions organization. Yes. How do you balance that? 
Yeah, I would say, and it's the same when I was a pastor of a church that had a lot of different folks from different denominations in it, yeah. is you've got to just focus on things that matter. So, you know, become, not to overuse the phrase, but Jesus-centered, uh, to focus on Jesus, to be like, listen, there are these peripheral things that can frustrate all of us. Yeah. But if we can focus on the command to love God and love others, uh, then then we can, you know, some of these things we don't have to worry about, Right. Um, we can focus on things that truly matter. And I think in some ways it's because I lead an organization like this, that these kinds of stories are particularly frustrating because here we are in a season where, as you can imagine, it's not easy to fundraise. Um, and, and when I'm fundraising, it's to pay for kids' surgeries, right? So that Christian missionaries who are in their home countries across the continent of Africa, so a very decolonized model of mission, I want those people to get money and instead, I see churches having fundraisers so we can have concerts to defy public health codes. Uh-huh. And so I think that really does frustrate me because yeah. I'm like, yo, as a church, we have an opportunity here uh, to really continue to be uh, generous, to, to care for our neighbor. And in North America, it's super easy. Don't gather in large groups. Just don't right. do that. That's right. simple. Temporarily, right? and, by the way. Temporarily. And it doesn't even cost us that much money to do that. Like we can just, you know, meet on Zoom. We have that technology. We can meet in smaller groups where it's safe. Uh, But instead, you're seeing like GoFundMe accounts for just nonsense. And I'm like, you know, and I know my organization is not the only one. But there are so many Christian charities who are trying to do the right thing, Hmm. trying to make this world a more loving, more peaceful, more beautiful place those charities are suffering so we can have political arguments. And I'm like, yo, can we, can we get focused on Jesus and and get back to the basics? And I think, yeah, as someone who, with my sort of ideology, I think it is about stripping away that kind of mess at the edges that doesn't help anyone that is not the Christian faith and saying, we're we're not, I mean, we're not even discussing theology or doctrine today. We're just saying, can we, can we, focus on Jesus and you put it well on the kingdom of Jesus. That is what we want to be about. And that kingdom includes Kenyans, includes Americans, includes Canadians. So let's get our priorities straight, right? We have finite amounts of money, finite amounts of time. Let's focus those things in the right places. So let's talk about the missions organization that you run, because you know, I, I would say, had you on the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast, you know, for sake of like our launching place, give people the kind of the overview of, of Bethany Kids, what you actually do. Yeah. I have a few questions I kind of want to hone in on as we talk about it. Sure. So our first kind of, if you think of layers, the first thing we do is we train pediatric surgeons. And those surgeons come from all across the continent of Africa. We train them in a hospital in Kenya. So we've got uh, a number of nationalities represented there currently from the continent of Africa. We train them as pediatric surgeons. And then as they go back to their home countries, we sort of follow up with them and say, whatever help you need, we're there for you. So the the first, they they find a hospital that they want to work in, that they feel comfortable in. In some cases, they're the only pediatric surgeon in the country or the area or region. So they're really in high demand. So what we'll kind of encourage them is to say, listen, if you're willing to serve in under-resourced communities, places where people can't afford surgery, if you prioritize those people, uh, then like that's the kind of people we want to be. So we uh, agree to top up their salaries so they're given a competitive wage because I'm aware that brain drain and these kinds of things are realities for people. So we What is brain drain? 
So for example, you have a lot of talented individuals who live in a country and they know they can't find good paying jobs. So they all bail. Oh. Right. So you'll train a surgeon and then they'll leave. Gotcha. So imagine if we just train surgeons from Africa and they all move to the U S where we have a ton of surgeons who are like, we're not helping. Right. So the goal is to incentivize in very real ways to say, I know you've got a family to take care of. So whatever the going rate for surgeon, we're going to bump it up by 30% and we're going to make sure you're cared for. Wow. So we train the surgeon, we take care of the surgeons so that they are well cared for and they can take care of their own families. And then any child who needs care and can't afford it, we'll pay for that kid as well. So train the surgeon, take care of the surgeon, then whatever patient comes to them, they can't afford care. We're paying for that kid. And then over time, and this is the more kind of nuanced, complex one is as that surgeon develops new program initiatives on the ground, we want to support those. So physiotherapy, wheelchairs, occupational therapy, whatever support systems to help kids health, because we're a kids health organization, uh, whatever is is kind of proposed by the surgeon at programmatically driven locally, we'll try to find ways to fund it. So that's kind of the, the direction you, you train the surgeon, you support the surgeon. And then as their vision for their own country grows, we support that initiative. Okay. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, like a very decolonized approach. Um, you know, so well, let me ask you this. Um, how much is like the average surgery cost in some of these different countries in Africa? Is, is, is it because in the U.S., you know, a surgery could be like tens of thousands of dollars. Is, is the rate right. different over there? Yeah, it depends on the complexity of surgery. And often, oftentimes we're talking more in the in the scope of hundreds or thousands of dollars okay. rather than tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. So again, depending on the surgery, you may have smaller surgery that is $300 and a family can't afford that. Yeah. Or you may have something that's $30,000. Um, that would be a, a realistic range of the kinds of things we might see covered. Okay. So do you follow the uh, No White Saviors account? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen them. <laughs> What's your thoughts on them? I'm kind of curious because I feel like you, you're doing a lot of the work that they always talk about, you know, like not right. like, you know, using pretty much people from Africa as like photo ops to boost up right. like white saviorism. D yeah. Is that kind of your perspective as well? Or like, is there some overlap there? Yeah, I would say there's a good amount of overlap. Obviously, um, I, I imagine that account would be critical of the fact that here I am as a white dude who works for this organization. And that's probably not something that they would encourage. Uh, I, I would I still feel like we're a global community and we can all help each other out. Right. So I don't think I should be discounting people based on their race or culture. But I would say that those kinds of things would help inform who directs program. So um, I'm yes. not the one who decides which child needs surgery. I'm not the one who leads a country. I'm not even, I'm not the one who initiates program, right? So on those terms, I would say we're, we're similar where we try to have this decolonized um, model. But I would also say that I'm not, uh, we clearly make space for the occasional white person, right? Uh, <laughs> right. So it's, so I don't think we'd be a hundred percent in alignment with everything they say, but I think there's a great deal that overlaps because I think they're pointing to a real issue within the church and yes. you, you kind of put it into terms of like the photo op thing, right? Right. Where you do have, you know, a uh, sort of a white person like myself flies across to another country, takes a couple cute pictures with kids. Right. Uh, and we're very much aware of how we portray people. Uh, even currently, partly it was triggered by the, the pandemic and partly just trying to figure out like, 
how many photos of kids in another country should we be showing and, and what kind of photos should we show and what does that look like? So our Instagram currently is just a ton of uh, like graphics and, and quotes and, and other things that are not actually photos of people. Uh, when we did a, like a letter campaign back at Christmas, we do like we mail out to f- supporters and funders to be like, yo, this costs money. We could really use your help. Right. Uh, rather than having a photo of a kid, we chose to choose a photo of an adult who is an employee with us who who was a patient who is now leading our work. So they were a patient 15 years ago. Wow. We helped them. They're continuing to give back to their community. And now they get to speak as an adult, as a consenting adult. They can yeah. be like, this is my story. Right. So I don't I think like, again, the, the critique of colonial mission is important because it's about who holds power. Yes. And I think what we're trying to do is ensure that the people who have stake, who make decisions are the people on the ground. My role tends to be about raising awareness, raising funds um, and, and at, a, at an accountability level, because with the U.S. or Canada, I have to be accountable to where those funds are spent in terms right. of like taxation or whatnot, right. uh, charity laws. Um, so I have to have accountability relationships with the people on the ground, but that is not, um, positionally, this is not me dictating policy. That's me saying, okay, so we sent this amount of money. You said we were going to spend it this way. Uh, were you able to achieve those goals? Right? Like I need to report back to donors uh, and we want to be accountable. So I think the church should not be defined as strictly as like, I, I think there's a, almost a cancel culture of like, well, if you look like a certain person, you're not welcome to participate in conversations. I think that that is not helpful because I think the church, um, it it is all ethnicities, all languages, all backgrounds. And I don't want to deny a people group because of what they look like. That includes folks who are white in the West. I'm not going to deny them, but there's certain decisions that are not appropriate for them to make, if I can put it in those terms. I think that's a good way of putting it because I really wrestle with what you just said a lot because I understand, well, I should say I'm understanding more and more how much power, frankly, white people hold in a lot of different ways, right? Based on obviously American history and even in the evangelical culture, you know, white theology, it's a thing. Like how we interpret the Bible mm-hmm. is like seen as default. And then you have yeah. the black theologians or the Asian theologians. Like they're, they're, yeah. always a, uh, they're always named, right? But the white theologians are just theologians, right? So mm-hmm. like I realized right. that, you know, that, that there's an inherent power dynamic shift from the get-go of like, yeah. I get that, right? But I also get that there are a lot of people who are white who are realizing that and are yeah. trying to be part of that solution. Like, like what you just said of like, as an, as the person who's running this this entity, I realize that if I can give up some of what what what, what might be seen as like a, a power issue to people on the ground to make those decisions because a they're more qualified because i'm not there you know and b that's their own context and then i can i can help out by doing what what i can do which is helping to raise funds and keep that machine going yeah i think it's a it's a that's a much better approach than i think a lot of our current mission situation i think it's starting maybe to change i think that that there's more Mm. awareness now but you know the current mission setup especially in the evangelical church you know of like all right guys we're gonna raise funds for us to go to a different country to you know help build a school and get some cool photos and we come back and we're all changed and god erect us and god's changing us and it's more about us you know i think that mentality 
it is so attractive because you don't realize like what you're doing. Right? I mean, I mm-hmm. listen. I, I have a photo from when I was in the, when I was in the, in the Dominican of me holding two kids who were who were yeah. who were poor. Like I'm yeah. thinking I'm just doing a good thing, like trying to love these mm-hmm. kids while I'm there. Um, but now looking back, I realize that like unintentionally thinking that that the American can just swoop in to a mm-hmm. third world country and just save the day by giving kids some candy. It's a very temporary you know, solution to a much larger problem. So I I appreciate that perspective that you're sharing because I think that that's a good like approach of like, listen, I can't change my skin color, right? Like I I can't shift that. I can't control it. It's impossible. But I can realize the inherent power and privilege that comes with it. And I could do my best to give that away where appropriate while I'm still in this position of leadership over this missions organization. Absolutely. And part of that, you, that the kind of photo op of the kid is significant because in that photo, you are the powerful helper and the kid is the victim. Yes. We're trying to get to a place where more and more. Um, and again, as I said, the last uh, story we ran uh, was on um, an employee. So this, this is a doer. He is not the victim anymore. He is right. someone who received care, but he's leading the way. Uh, we frequently try to tell the stories of our surgeons. They are the ones doing the work. It is not a white savior who flew in to help. The, right. the person who saved this kid's life looked like them. They spoke the same language. So I do think we, we find ourselves, as with all things in the West, we love to be polarized. We mm. like to be like, oh, everything old is bad. Yeah. We have to do it this way. White folks are the worst. And, and I think <laughs> some of those accounts can be very polarizing. Like, don't, you should have, you know, turn your back and pretend it never, like, look away. Don't like, this is our business. Don't, don't, don't get involved or let the white people continue to do it. And there's like this polar, these polarized approaches. And I do think that there is a way somewhere down the middle, which is kind of a teetering on a fence sometimes. And you're maybe going to get it wrong, but I think it's a way of realizing that we are all God's creation Right. We're all made in his image, whether um, whether I speak English or I speak Swahili, uh, we are equal in value and importance. And so we can partner for the gospel. And so what do I bring to the table? What do they bring to the table? I have access to the West that my surgeon colleagues do not have because they're doing surgeries every day. So I can champion their cause. That's how I can spend my time uh, so that they can do the the, the work that they need to do. Yeah, I like that a ton. And also, you know, kind of makes me think about um, I've been reading a lot of N.T. Wright lately, and of course Tim right. Mackey. You know, guys, I just good choices. And, oh, they're so good. Every time I put on Tim Mackey, I'm just like, God, you know, my mind right. is blown. But I, one thing he talked about a while ago that I, I always loved was he kind of described like the early church power dynamic and how you know when they're at at that table, the power was equal. But outside of that table, the power was not equal. You know, like mm-hmm. if you have an orphan, um, you know, a, a, a slave, a rich man and a woman, you know, at the table of Christ, it says the power is equally distributed. So that means that the rich man is now de-escalate or uh, I guess, mm-hmm. um, yeah, de-escalated or whatever the opposite of elevated yeah, is. I'm writing on the word. He's lowered, I guess. We'll say that. Lowered, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and the orphan and the slave is now elevated mm-hmm. to a place where they meet. And so there's yeah. like this mutual, um, you know, um, submission to each other. And I yeah. love that so much. And I think that like, that's kind of 
a big picture or kind of like a loose idea of what 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 Bethany Kids is doing and what many of us are trying to do, which is to say, listen, I don't want to be the one in power. I want to give away whatever I can give away. And then I want you to be able to speak up so I can learn from you and then you learn from me. And then we have this handshake um, ideal happening where, Mm. yes, obviously, like there are systems and powers beyond us. We cannot, you and I cannot single handedly control that the US and the North America has really plundered Africa historically, right? And And that a lot of the money is here now. I realize that I can't control that. But if I can suck any of that money back and throw it back into right. Africa, yeah, dang it, I'm going to do it. You know, right? And especially if you can do it in such a way where Africans are making those decisions and making the money, right? You know, and like making the, the money, right? It's money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're trying. I, I worry that sometimes the the way that we have messaged this whole thing with decolonizing missions mm. is that white folks in the West go. Yeah, you're right. We've done it wrong. So what I'll do is keep my own money and I'll stay out of your business and I'll just continue to amass wealth. And and there's an abandonment of mission, which which, you know, when we talk about this polarized world, you have people who are trying and maybe getting it wrong and we can critique them like the kid who goes and, and goes to an orphanage. Right. We can critique that they got it wrong. I also think it's worth stating they at least they tried. Right. Because there's another group of people out there Mm. who are like, well, I don't want to get it wrong. So what I'll do is nothing. I won't support anyone. I won't do anything. I will just keep my money and I will live happily ever after, you know, as a selfish person. Mm. I I don't think that that's going to help us. I do think that, you know, we're not going to get it right. We're going to make mistakes, but surely it's worth trying. For the sake of the world, for the sake of the kingdom of God, surely it's worth trying to find ways to to do this where all people, no matter our country, our language, that we actually get to play a role, all people. Yeah, and if we if we mean all people, then automatically we're going to adjust the power dynamic accordingly, right? If we if, yeah. if I do mean all people, and I realize that that one of my uh, Black American friends, you know, uh, has a different experience than I do, and I mean I want to include that person, I'm automatically if I really mean it, want to give away whatever power I have that I can give away, yeah. give that away, and empower yeah. him or her because that's how the gospel in a, again <laughs> an ideal world wants to work, right? So, yeah. I mean, so you're obviously like, you raise money, you do all that stuff. What is your pulse on like the, on the evangelical church, both in America and in Canada, as far as like how they view missions, how they view fundraising? Do you see yeah. people kind of starting to, to kind of catch on to what we're talking about here? Because mm. I feel like when you start talking about power dynamics, privilege, I mean, everyone's Reddit, you know, antennas go up like, oh no, Marxism, you know, identity politics. Right. And they start freaking out. Even though I find this to be a very biblical concept um, yeah. and not at all, um, you know, I'm not talking about Marxism. I'm talking about the right. We're talking about Jesus. Yeah. I mean, so like how do you, when you start talking about this stuff, what, what's your, what's your finger on the pulse with that? Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm in a tough position because I don't know what's going on in North America, to be honest. Mm. I've lived in North America for the last 12 months and entirely in a pandemic. So uh, mm. prior to that, as you know, I was living in the Middle East uh, right. where right. evangelical folks, white folks have no power. Like you don't have power by being an evangelical church. <laughs> There's no power in that. It is right. like a house church, right? Right. So I'm coming back to it to a world. So I'm I'm sure I'm I'm getting some of this wrong as I say it and as they oh you know as I hopefully never offend any kind or offend people in the wrong way. But hopefully what they see is this desire, this heart to be more like Jesus as a community. And regardless of denomination, regardless of any of that, 
Um, I'm more concerned about you know, the gospel and the kingdom of God than about these, the politics of the day. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that people, I, I think again, when, when you hear the kind of polarizing camps, it, it gets very us and them. Uh, and I don't want to be part of that. I think that becomes quite toxic and it just replaces one toxic culture with a new toxic culture. Yeah. Um, I think we can do better. And part of doing better is not abandoning all these people who, like, I think of all of the older supporters uh, that we would have and that many charities have. These are people who maybe we'll say in their 60s, 70s, 80s, they've put a check in the mail every single month to their church, to missions. They've, right. They have lived their entire lives trying to be better, trying right. to, to live selflessly. And then you get some young punk say, you know what, you're racist. And they're like, well, I've tried my whole life to, to be better. Right. And, and typically the people saying, hey, you're the worst, like yeah. go ahead, check their bank balance and see how much they're spending yeah. on others yeah. versus how many words they're saying on Instagram. If you catch yeah. my jerk, like there, no, I do, there, I do. there's there's a great privilege of people saying, Hey, everyone, you're so racist. You're the worst. You should all be better. You think, okay, yeah. Okay. So tell me what you do. Tell me how you spend your money. What charities are you supporting? How are you making this world a better place for others? Yeah. Um, and, and I would, I have a lot of grace for the people who maybe they haven't done it right. Maybe they haven't done it perfectly, but as a people, they have done their best. They have lived selflessly. They've given away their money. Um, I know, you know, it's almost taboo to talk about, um, you know, tithing in the church or whatever, but, yes. but there, there are some incredible people who have lived their whole life giving away a huge portion of their money to others. And then we come up. And all we have to say is like criticism of them. Hmm. And I'm like, there, there, there is place for criticism, right? I get that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But there's also place for grace to say, right, we've made mistakes, but, but can we at least see the shared humanity in these people, yeah. right? Folks who've tried and, and now we kind of come, come against people aggressively, like, oh, I just discovered an issue last week and now I know everything. And like, <laughs> you're the worst. And I'm like, yo, yeah. we've got to be better as the church. We've got to be better than that. The social media world, it's a weird one, right? Like, <laughs> right. Everyone has, I mean, dude, I have, I have 10,000 people following me in like three right. months. Like, that's a little a lot scary. Of yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> like, I'm not that smart, everyone. Like, I, right. I always try and tell people I'm not a theologian. I have some college under my belt. Like, like right. don't take everything I'm saying as gospel. Um, and, you know, as you're talking, I'll be honest, I'm kind of like, hmm, like, I, 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 I understand what you're saying because I thought about that, right? Like one of my fears is that people like me who are in this tension of like really critiquing the evangelical church, really committed to Jesus, trying to do it as best as we can with the information right. that we have, I don't want to become a fundamentalist again, just on the other yeah. side. You know, I don't want to yeah. go from one fundamentalism of like, you know, um, fundamentalist theology of the Bible is absolutely infallible and like everything's literal. And if you if you don't believe that, you're just a heretic to now the mm. other side where it's like, if you don't see everything the exact way I do, like you're a heretic, right. that doesn't yeah. like, that doesn't solve, that, that that doesn't push us forward as a humanity. Mm. And it, it is hard to live in the tension because people naturally tend to, fit into groups of things that they mm -hmm. like. But I thought about, as you were talking about, like the older people who are giving their money, I thought about, about, about my parents because my mm -hmm. parents are very much, 
the typical, you know, my dad's a big Trump guy. Like, you know, my parents are, are pretty conservative. They, they, they assume whenever someone says like, Oh, white privilege, they go, Oh, everything white people do is bad. That, that, that's just how they kind of react. Right. But, but in their life, they have given faithfully to every church they've been a part of. They've given Mm -hmm. to missions. They've given to the, I've watched my dad go into his little safe and pull out cash for our neighbor next door to pay their mortgage on Mm -hmm. more than one occasion. I've watched my dad who would, who will listen to Sean Hannity all day, you know, about, Mm -hmm. about how the immigrants are ruining America, try to learn Spanish and talk to the cleaners at, at the industrial park of the place he's working at just to learn their name. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't, for me, it doesn't add up, right? Like dad, how can you listen to Sean Hannity, but then treat these people with like dignity and humanity? Beautiful. Yeah. Love and respect. I mean, I, and that is a true. I, I that I'm not exaggerating. Those are all true stories. Like everything yeah. I just said is true. And my parents raised us great. Like they were good parents. Yeah. So I do think you know something that my wife always says that has stuck with me is that people are doing the best with the information that they have, right? Mm. And you know I do think that as frustrating as the evangelical entity is, and we obviously have seen direct instances of racism and homophobia and misogyny. Like we, we, we've seen it. The videos have gone viral. We know it exists. It's a problem. I I think that we do also have to be sensitive that not every person who's white and in the evangelical church is thinking that way or, or, or or wants to think that way. Right. So it, but that's more difficult being nuanced than just being black or white. Everyone's this way. Everyone's that way. And even for me personally, as I'm talking to you, I try and, you know, I try and thread that needle on Instagram, but it's Instagram. Like you can only say so much in a post. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not easy. It's I, I, I think it is. It is about having grace for people. I think we get, as you said, it, we we put people in camps so quickly. And to, to use another kind of buzzword, let's talk cancel culture for a moment. Oh, Typically, the people who who love to complain about cancel culture also love to cancel people. And just yes. this will sound off topic for a moment, but then we'll, I'll bring it back. So, Georgia, I don't follow American uh, elections to know exactly what's happening, but let me just a couple quick snapshots of things I saw. So you've got major league baseball is like, yo, we don't like what's happening in Georgia at right. an electoral level, so we're going to pull out. Uh, that is a form of cancel culture. Then I see. Some conservative people saying, I can't believe what baseball has just done. I'm boycotting them. I'm never watching a game, them uh-huh. again, because cancel culture is so toxic. That's why I'm canceling them. And you're like, hold up, hold up. Uh-huh. Like, like uh-huh. so just everybody's doing it and, yeah. and, and they're pretending that it's just the other side. And we get into these sides and conversations. And I think we need to get back to real human stories like your dad to say, here's a person who is the other side. They're a Trump supporter. They're, they're supporting someone that's maybe different than you are. And you see the love and grace and humility in their life. Right. So rather than putting them in this huge camp of all evangelicals do this, all people like this, I mean, that's just not getting us anywhere. Yeah. Like we've got to get back to a very human level to say the person in front of you, your dad or another human being, these are beautiful, wonderful people who have come to some very different conclusions about politics and whatever, but to assume that they are motivated entirely by their racist roots or something right, is, right. is misreading it. And, yeah. and it's unfair to people because there, you know, there was a time not that long ago where you had Republicans and Democrats who 
um, you know, they, they could talk to each other and they didn't say, well, you're not invited to the turkey dinner this year. And, and I'm, I'm disowning you because you have a different political agenda. Right. We have got to get past that and, and get to a place where those lines matter less than than our allegiance to the kingdom of Jesus. I, I just don't know how, though, honestly. Like, right. So I, I would like to think I'm pretty plugged into like American politics and like, you know, the pulse somewhat. And I'm telling you, man, like I try, I'm not trying to be biased, but conservative media, I'm talking like the yeah. Fox News, the OANs, right. the, um, you know, what's the other big one that came out recently? Newsmax. Um, oh, right. You know, the, now it's Charlie Kirk. It's Candace Owens. Yeah. Like, that group of people, like they know how to incite their base and they do it and they make a lot of money doing it and they get a lot yeah. of exposure doing it. And they have really convinced people. I mean. Dude, we had an insurrection on January 6th. Right. People yeah. held Jesus banners while they stormed yeah. the Capitol. There's a video that I posted of people in the Capitol building praying, thanking Jesus for what just happened. Yeah. And the evangelical church, while many people said the violence was wrong, refused to go down to the root and to, and to call mm. out, like, guys, this is deeper than just violence. There's yeah. a whole thing. There's a whole ideology in your pews that have, mm. has been festering for decades. Yeah. I mean, yes. decades. And I, I it's discouraging because I, when I was watching that Insurrection Live, and I was watching the whole day, I was glued to my screen. Mm. I mean, I'm watching everything. I'm thinking, yeah. this is it. This is the watershed moment where evangelicals who not just held their nose, but like openly mm. praised Trump as this good Christian man, right? Mm. Good Christian leader. Um, would say, you know what? We made a massive error. This is wrong. Mm. We have to rethink yeah. our ideology. And I think maybe a few did, but many, many yeah. did not. You know, when you combine that with the with the fake election lie mm. that was propagated yeah. by many in the charismatic evangelical world and yeah. in the conservative reform world, like, this is a big overlap. This is a this is yeah. huge because they, those guys called they each other found unity. All day. Finally, right. they finally found unity. Right, right. over over a lie. And mm. I think what, what what I get frustrated at is I'll, it will hit me every now and then. I'll be like, oh, right. That happened like three months ago and no one's talking yeah. about it. It's like it never happened. Yeah. It's, it's, like, oh, it's already sorry. blown over. Right. I think the hard thing that I would say is that all the supporters, um, you know, there are a lot of people who believe it was fake who are still good people. But the problem is that they believe the news, which used to be a relatively safe thing to do. Hmm. Right. It, it is yeah. very difficult because there are people and you name some of them who are intentionally spinning things, yeah. who are intentionally creating this fear culture. And then, you know, you have someone who's like, well, my pastor told me this. The news told me this. All of my friends told me this. And everyone who I spoke to reiterated what this was. And the people who don't talk to me or, you know, my nephew or whoever, he won't talk to me anyways. Right. Uh, so I can't like people are getting into these bubbles, these vacuums, these 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 worlds where no one is sharing different perspectives. Yeah, I think yeah. actually what, what you said is 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 the way to go. We actually have to listen to people who are different than us. Otherwise, we are creating weird subcultures that buy into stuff like this, that, you know, every every political party is going to have their own news station. Every ideology is going to oh, have their you. own. Like, it, where does that end? We've got to get back to a place where human beings talk to each other. We no longer, you know, are, are saying you can't come to Thanksgiving dinner because I don't like who you voted for. We've got to get to a place of actually listening to human beings talk to them, sharing our opinions too. And I think you do a nice job with that of 
new evangelicals, if we could talk about new evangelicals for a moment, because sure, I, the, the very fact that you haven't abandoned the name evangelicals, you're like, yo, there's something beautiful about this history. We want it to be like, you love this church. And, and you'll often say on Saturday, be like, Hey guys, I'm, I'm going radio silent here because I'm going to church in the morning. And, and this is a huge part of my life. Uh, that, that is a, a kind of testimony that you're putting out to this community at the same time, you're trying to create this community where people feel safe in their different, opin- different opinions. They're yeah. coming with different ideologies. Yeah. Um, and you're trying to, it's not easy because like, where do you, I think I remember someone describing it as like, if you try to put fences around a community, it'll always be a mess. But if you put a well of water in the middle, the sheep never run far. That's like there, there's a there's an imagery that I think you're trying to do with new evangelicals. You're not saying who's in or out but you're trying to give life to something. You're trying to breathe life into um, the church. You, you've not abandoned it. And, and I, I know you've said before, like we can't stay in the pattern of deconstructing forever. Um, that, that is a phase, you know, deconstruct. And then you get the pieces in front of you. Well, what are you doing with them now? Are you rebuilding something? Yeah. And, and I think whether it be missions like Bethany kids, whether it be what you're trying to do, whether, I mean, we're also involved in a church plant here in town, whatever it is that we're doing, yeah. we believe in Jesus and we want this church to be a thing of beauty. Um, that means we've got to listen to people with different opinions. That means we've got to, reach across the aisle, so to speak, to, to be, I mean, the world right now, particularly in the States is very divisive, very polarized. We need to create churches that are exactly the opposite of that. Um, And, and when we have language that, and, and, and I think to be clear, there are, you know, for every sort of Sean Hannity in the conservative movement, there is an equal voice somewhere on the left uh, that, that we need to be aware of that may, the problem is they align with some of our thinking, so we don't notice them, but they may be just as capable of spinning rhetoric that is potentially violent. I saw, so uh, there, there's a Bernie, uh, People for Bernie, I think it was People for Bernie. And they, so Bernie Sanders thing. So clearly a relatively left wing. And to be clear, this was not Bernie Sanders himself, but I, they, they were using words like eat the rich. They were showing pictures of Gu- the French guillotine from the French Revolution, which is, of course, a very obvious homage to ca- chopping the heads off rich people. And I'm like, you know, if we are going to cr- critique violent rhetoric on the right, we've got to come to terms that that language is absolutely not acceptable. Yeah. So two things. Uh, we'll get to the new evangelicals in a minute, but I just want to I want to um, gently push back if you don't mind on the do. Sean Hannity part because yes. I've heard that before and it sounds right. But here's the thing: there is no Sean Hannity counterpart because right. statistically, I mean, speaking, I can't think of anyone. To be uh, clear, that's the point. Is like if you look at, at, at like the top ten radio DJs in America, I believe it is six out of ten are conservative hosts. Two are like shock jocks and like one's a liberal. All right. Right. So like conservative media, their voices. I mean, I don't know a left wing Ben Shapiro. I don't know a left wing Candace Owens. And I'm sure they exist, but their audience is tiny. 
And the other issue I have is that when you have 80% of white evangelicals voting conservative and being in that bubble, you know, I always say that like our job isn't to critique the world. Like, you know, I'm not mm. concerned with Antifa because they're not they're not claiming right. to have Jesus banners while they're smashing down things in Portland. Yes. You know, obviously yeah. I think it's wrong. And if they came to my town, I would I would I would nonviolently oppose them, clearly. Yes. But but I'm concerned about what's happening to people who are saying, hey, we're mm. Jesus representatives. Yeah. We're gonna burn down the Capitol. Like th- yeah. that's no, that's a good point. For the Christian is like is so much more of an issue for me because mm. that's using God's name in vain. I mean, that is 100%. misrepresenting God, right? So that's yeah. just my, my thought. But, you know, the new evangelical thing, man, it's really interesting because, you know, I have these people on my account and like, I don't know, I probably on average get like between like 100 and 200 DMs a day. And I, I get back to every <laughs> single one. And the story there, and I always tell people, anyone is welcome as, as long as you can be respectful. I have no, I try yeah. to share different opinions, but usually what I get, what, what I share is usually what I get. Now I have some people who are pretty conservative and they're they're kind, and they'll send me stuff and I'll post it. But most people I found like the general pulse of my of that account is people who have been really, really, really hurt by church, mm-hmm. by purity culture, by some kind of theology, and yeah. then when they started deconstructing. They maybe opened up to someone in the church and they were that person was like, that's it, you're losing your faith, you, you know, mm-hmm. or they've been kicked out. And so I kind of see my account as like a safe refuge for the wounded, you know, like people mm-hmm. who are like, yeah. I'm trying to make sense of this Jesus thing, but I need yeah. a place where I can express that without being judged. Like I have, yes. I have to be able to say uh, shit in front of you without you saying, oh, what kind of yeah. a Christian are you? You know, Yeah, you're so, out, there's a door, Bye. Exactly, you know, so I'm trying to have this balance of like, you know, I read the I read the DMs, I engage a little bit there, I try and share responses on the stories. Then I have my own personal thoughts, and I try not to make it my own personal <laughs> live journal 2.0, as I say. Right. You know? And I yeah. try to have these posts that are thought out and like you know, hopefully getting us thinking. But yeah, the the new evangelicals thing it's interesting. I mean, we, we we have a Facebook community now that there's mm. there's I think 300 of them on there. They talk all the wow. time. I'm working on um on some like some Zoom groups to start getting people wow. who maybe are in like different like for instance, I really want to get a Zoom group for pastors who are deconstructing because I mm. have several of them on my account. Right. People who will yeah. DM me like I'm a paid pastor, I'm deconstructing, I'm terrified of losing my faith. I'm I'm also mm. terrified of losing my job. So like right. they they need a place. They need a place yeah. where it's just pastors and they it's can private. be honest, yeah. you know, and it's private. So yeah, the new evangelicals thing, man, it's a weird tension, you know, and there are days where I'm like, I think I'm out. I think I'm out of this church <laughs> thing. Then there's days where I'm like, I think I'm back in, you know, right. and that's just how it is. Like, it's just, that's, that's, the, that's the hard part of living in tension is that yeah. you kind of feel a little dual minded sometimes. Like there are days mm. where you're like, this was great. I love what I did at church. It, it's working. Mm. Then there are days where you're like, why, why am I even a part of this machine right. that is hurting mm. people? Like, so often, right? So right. it's a really weird I, dynamic. I, I like, in some ways, what, what you're creating with new evangelicals is, um, I don't know how you would self-describe it, but it's very much what the church can and, and ought to be in many ways. So yeah. you described it earlier where you have a lot of hurting people. So the only work that you need to do, you're not kicking out a conservative. Right. What you are doing is if someone's going to say something that is going to hurt someone, yes. you're going to stop that from happening. Right. Now, any pastor should be doing that in their church community, right? right? Regardless of what political affiliation there could be associated with it. You are right. trying to make sure people have voice, people feel safe. Uh, people can say their mind without being chased out. I wish that's what every church was like. Right. 
uh, where someone can someone is more offended by using the Lord's name in vain for political protest than using the Lord's name uh, or swearing or using uh, a slightly more metaphoric version for a word. Um, we we have to be more concerned about the people than about you know yeah. some some of these other things. So I like what you're doing with it. I think it, it is it is important because it's not an abandonment of the church. And even what you said there with pastors. This comes back to a lot larger conversation about uh, politics. If people wrestle with ideas by themselves, yeah. it often ends with abandonment, right? right? Uh, but if you can create a space that is that actually has a bit of forward momentum, that has enough people in it who want to stick it through, right. even if they know it's tough, yeah. um, then, then the result is those people who are teetering on the edge, and you describe those pastors who are you know, worried about losing their faith— they're worried about it because they're doing it by themselves. If we can yeah. get them into a group of folks who can work it out and find a way through, yeah, isn't that what the church should be doing across the board, right? Totally. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I've like I did a big Easter poll, you know, like who, hey, did, did you attend a service or did you not? It was half, half did, half mm-hmm. didn't, and half that, that that didn't said, hey, I did something different. You know, I went to the park, I went for a walk. It was actually so much more therapeutic. And so I think giving space for people who are like, yeah, I'm in this Jesus thing, but I need time away from the Sunday morning I, event. It's like, that's fine. Like, take your time. We'll, we'll, you yeah. know, if, and guess what? If you don't come back, I'm not going to judge you for it. Like, I we trust still love that, you. I trust that God still is working the, mm-hmm. and however he needs to work. And it's not my responsibility to save you or to fix you or to make you better. Like, that's just not my yeah. gig. But my gig is that there's always a place here for you. And the mm-hmm. other thing I was going to say before we get ready to wrap up is I have a lot of people, I mean, a lot, who are either um, uh, not out to their family and church community in the LGBTQ plus community mm. um, or who are wrestling with their sexuality, don't know what to do with it, um, or who are like, listen, I, I am, I'm gay, I'm lesbian, whatever, um, and the church kicked me out. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not, you're safe here. You're safe here. Yeah. And I kind of am pulling from like the Preston Sprinkle approach. He has a very like, you know, I'm not sure, honestly, I've told my everyone this, this is no secret. I'm still working through like the theological outworking of how that issue like works out theologically of like what the Bible actually says about it. Mm-hmm. I'm still in tension with that. Um, I'm not sure where I land yet, but um, you know, no matter what, there's no reason to dehumanize human beings made in the image of God, right? Like yes. if I have you know, if I have someone who, let's say I was running a church and um, a gay couple who's married and they have two adopted kids comes to my church and says, hey, like we, we want to become committed Christians. What I'm not going to tell them is, okay, great. Can you break up and give your kids back to the foster family? Because right. I think it's so wrong what you're doing that I would rather you hurt yourself emotionally and hurt your children than you mm. stick it out and pursue Jesus together. Because yeah. even though that might, for some people, they might go, well, Tim, but the Bible's clear. The reality is that that is not that clear. And that right. It's great because you have human beings, you know, like what do you do with that? So I'm hoping that that issue really becomes for a lot of churches a much more secondary issue regardless of where they land theologically because Mm. those people, there are, I mean, so many of them, Peter, so many who are like, I love Jesus. I'm committed to him. I'm also married to my spouse, you know, who who is is a same sex, you know, partner. What do I do? And it's like, dude, like 
live your life, man. I don't know. Like, trust that God's going to yeah. work it out in the end. I don't know what to tell you. Besides, yeah. like, I'm not going to tell you to break up. Like, I'm not going to no. do it. You know? And, so, and, and it's, it's, it's a shame that anyone would ever feel unsafe going to a church. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the part that should break all of our hearts. Like, any Christian, I, I know that you've got a range of people who come to the channel, but yeah. any Christian should be grieved to yeah. hear that there's, I mean, you go to any church meeting and they're going, how do we get more people in church? Right. And, and they mean that out of the goodness of their heart. <laughs> yes. So to yes. hear that there are people out there who want to go and are afraid to, yeah. that should grieve us to the core. Yeah. And, and all of us, like we should really, you know, what is clear coming back to what is clear in scripture is that we are to love people. Yeah. That, that is abundantly clear yeah. to love God and love others. Yeah. And, and that needs to be the mark. I think of, you know, what, how will they know that we are the church? Yep. Uh, it's not likely an insurrection. It's not likely <laughs> all the other things we've covered today. Yeah, it is that we are a people of love yeah. and it's going to be messy. And I recognize that sometimes yes. justice can look unloving to some folks. I get it. There's it's right. nuanced. It's complicated, yes. but it's I, I think I heard someone recently put it like, if you're not sure and you've got to err, err on the side of love. Like right. if you're not sure about something right. and, and that is true for, again, coming back to we were talking earlier with missions and you're like, oh, well, I'll just keep it to myself or I'll just I'll just do nothing or I'll just stay away from church or I'll give up on this. Like we, we've got to err on the side of love. When, when I look across the island, I see someone who flies a different flag than I, whether that be a different country or a different political party. I need to see past all of that yep. to see a human being created in the image of God. Right. And that all of us together we are all ambassadors of Jesus and we have that potential within us. So let's work together and actually build the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Love it. Well, on that note, um, where can people find you or find Bethany kids, you know, like plug all that away. I'll make sure I put it in the show notes, but like where, where can people find you and Bethany? Absolutely. So, uh, on Instagram, we have bethanykids.ig and we try to post stuff there a couple times a week. Um, we have got a website, bethanykids.org. Uh, and those are the two kind of main platforms right now where we're telling stories. And, you know, if someone reaches out, like you said, anyone who reaches out to us in the, in the DMS, we will happily respond if they've got questions, if they, if they want to know more. Um, and, and I know that a lot of people are in a different place when they listen to stuff like this. Um, and, and so, as I said, in the middle of our show here, like, um, charities like ours need help. So if for every criticism that we rightfully bring forward, I just hope that all of us are putting our money where our mouths are in whatever way that looks like yeah, and making this world a better place. I love that. That's great. Yeah, it was great having you back on. I'm sure we'll do it again at some point. I mean, it's be only great. been, what, six months or four months, I think. So <laughs> in four months from now, who knows? <laughs> We may have landed on Mars. There could have been uh, political insurrection. There could be three new countries. I just don't know anymore. So uh, we'll it. wait and see. Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's. Oh, one more cool thing. I'll probably. So at this at this recording, I have nine thousand nine hundred something followers. So I'll probably have ten thousand by the time this comes out. Which means you'll be the first podcast where I put the swipe up link Ooh, in the story. It's exciting! So congratulations. Oh man, <laughs> that is exciting. I'm so pumped to be here for that. And I've just been rooting for that for so long, just seeing it. I can't remember when I started paying attention, but I still go to your page to see how many numbers there are. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, dude, I don't like it is clearly you are tapping into a, a deep felt need for people. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see it grow. And I'm excited that uh, not to extend this, but it, it is not all about Tim. 
because yes. on a different day, we can get together and talk about the celebrity, toxic celebrity culture in the yes. church. But for yes. today, just to simply say, I love how many different voices get to be represented on your channel. I think that's brilliant. And we need more of that in the church. Thank so you. that is a beautiful thing. That is just my simple way of trying to give up any white power that I might have to <laughs> other people who can use it. Right? Like, right. You're absolutely right. This is as much as it can be, not about Tim. It's about like the community. So yeah. Anyway, no, I love it. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate that, that, that word of encouragement, Peter. So we'll talk again soon. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.